usually a patent troll is a person or a company that buys patents and then goes around and looks for people that are infringing on that patent. And so they might look before they buy so they know what to buy. But they find people that are infringing on a patent that they own and then they basically extort you. They say, give me a certain amount of money as a licensing fee or I'm going to take you to court and I'm going to ruin your business sort of thing. It's like ransomware. Yeah. It's professional ransomware. (laughs) Welcome to Working Code with your three hosts who never make off by one errors, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 33. And on today's show, we're going to discuss software patents and maybe also, if time allows, software engineering unions. Who knows? We'll see. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. But as usual, we're going to start with our triumphs and fails. And it looks like, Carol, it's your turn to go first. What's the bird update? Well, yeah, so so have three eggs. They seem to be doing good. Does anyone know how long it takes for eggs to hatch? Because I feel like they've been in there a very long time. I mean, what's time. a very long time? I mean, at least like four weeks. Hmm. It's been hot here. Maybe they're cooks now. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to crack one open. <laughs> okay, I'm not really going to do that, guys. We're not going to crack an egg open. We're going to wait. Yeah, but for my triumph or failure, I'm going to go with a failure. I am currently in the middle of an async await, for a lack of better word, hellhole. <laughs> I have no idea what I have done. Everything is going perfect and working so smoothly. And then I found there's this error that happens sometimes with Gmail if it uh, can't find a label to remove off a message. And it's doing that because the message has been deleted. So in the midst of me trying to label these messages, the user is actually removing Mm. the message while I am mid trying to work on it. So Gmail actually returns back an error, which is fine. I'm handling it. But I was trying to make a very small tweak to how the labels work. And for whatever reason, when I make this adjustment inside this await process, it all bombs out and everything stops. So I've spent a couple hours today trying to figure out where my await is failing. And it's just not fun right now. So I've cried a little bit this afternoon because it works fine until it doesn't. Oh. And I'm like, I know it should be waiting. It's, I'm going to wait right here. Just finish. But then it's on to the next one. I'm like, oh. Well, at least you're not doing it with raw promises. So, Async await is so much better. So much better. Oh, it's so much. I mean, it's the right way to go. But I'm just like, what? What? Why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> like my neck's itching. I'm They're like, hard why? to troubleshoot, too. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, it's and I almost want to kind of just ignore it and just let it throw the error and let it do the retry in AWS side because when it picks back up, everything's good to go. But I'm like, man, I really want this right too, so I can't just walk away yet. Yeah, sleep on yeah. it. Maybe you'll get the oh, idea oh. in the shower tomorrow morning or something. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Well, before we that, I mean, this is important. I googled oh. it. Okay, okay. <laughs> Bird eggs. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. Uh, take. Obviously, it varies a little bit between species, but the the range I'm seeing is somewhere between like 13 and 35 days. So they could be close. Ooh, they should be close yeah. then. I haven't seen the mama bird in oh, a while. That's not a great so time. So that's not a good thing. But it's so hot. I'm wondering if she's even needed. Bird watch. <laughs> well, other than to feed them, but it's not like she has to sit on the eggs. Right. It's 100 degrees here. So, all right. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, you, Ben, you're next. I'm going to go with a triumph this week. I uh, 
have been sitting on this idea for a small feature inside of our application. And for one reason or another, I haven't built it. And then two weeks ago, I finally got fed up with not building it and started to put together an MVP. And uh, it's kind of inspired by, if anyone uses Sublime Text, I'm sure other IDEs have this concept of a command palette. Oh, yeah. kind, of, kind of like Spotlight yeah. on the yeah. Mac, where there's a key combination that pops up a search, and that search then allows you to access various types of things, whether it's entities within the application or actions or, mm-hmm. or locations. Yeah, it's actually so, in some browsers, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really cool concept. And so I put together an MVP and uh, deployed into our application, but it's only discoverable. It's based on a key command, but there's, it's not like we have a help page for key commands, and it's only discoverable in this one UI that that, il- that illustrates the key command. So I've got analytics about when it gets opened and whether or not people select options. So now I have an amplitude dashboard that I'm just feverishly watching every day to see if anyone happens to stumble upon this feature and uses it. And uh, <laughs> are you wanting them to stumble? Yeah, yeah, upon yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So and are they? Yeah, slowly, but you know, it's, um, I walk a fine line between getting in trouble at work and providing <laughs> value for my users. <laughs> so, so I feel like the more quietly I do something, uh, the less trouble I get into, but I might also then make some users day if they stumble upon this and, and mm. it delights them. You talked about amplitude dashboard. What is that? Amplitude is a. I don't, I don't know if it's a analytics or if it's a metrics. I don't know what the right word would be, but essentially uh, the way our application works is we post metrics to segment IO. And then my understanding is that segment IO turns around and posts those same metrics to N number of services. I think mm-hmm. it's sort of like a, if this, then that style thing, but for metrics. So one of the integrations that we have is amplitude. So segment then posts those metrics to amplitude and I can create dashboards that show demographic breakdowns and and funnels. I don't actually know how to use it that well. I just I basically have bar <laughs> you charts. Guess. Yeah, okay. I'm at the bar chart level of skill. <laughs> Is that like the default yeah, setting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, yes, don't change anything. It's basically like you create a new dashboard, you add an event and it's like immediately a bar chart for you. Yeah. So that's where I am. That's but, pretty uh, cool. yeah. Yeah. Well, it's cool. it's just yeah. fun to see something being used and there is something very magical about watching real-time analytics because it's like the volume of people oh, doesn't it. even matter you're like one mm-hmm. person discovers it and you're like oh mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, my <I> people <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's good times nice adam what about you what do you have going on this week um i have a very clear triumph this week i just got back from a week pretty much entirely offline away from internet connection and cell phone signal. What is this so, offline? Holy moly. Right? Yeah. My family, we went camping for a week and we just go to state parks. It's nothing like crazy. We're not like backpacking the Appalachian Trail or something. But And, you know, some places you go, you have cell signal, some you don't. And my children are, like most children these days, completely screen addicted. I'm not uh, beyond reproach on that myself. And so we had preparations, right? I made sure we had podcasts on the kids' devices for them to listen to while on the road and a couple of audiobooks. And I had a, a bunch of books on my phone ready to go. And I had like downloaded some video stuff on my tablet just in case we get rained in or something. And we survived. I, I spent a week in a box with my family and 
we came out with the same number of people we went in with. And that's a triumph. No bodies to bury. Um, Do you guys fish or anything? We do occasionally fish, but we didn't on this trip. So this one of the places we went this trip was to Ohio Pile State Park. It's outside of Pittsburgh. And one of the neat features there and one of the big draws is they have what they call natural water slides. So if you imagine a river running down the side of a mountain, it's not too steep, but it's not too shallow. And it's got just the right kind of rock that the water can wear it away. And it basically carves out a water slide that you can ride down. And there's like pools every once in a while so that you can like take breaks and there's different slides sort of thing. It's really neat. And the water level has to be just right for you to be able to go. If it's too, the water level is too high. If there was a storm come through or something, then the the water just kind of is rushing and it looks a little dangerous and you don't want to go in. But if it's too low, then you can't be going fast enough to actually slide. (laughs) You just So we went actually five years ago, I think it was. And the water level, like a storm blew through when we were driving in and it was Mm. just crazy. We couldn't go. We were really disappointed. And this year, luckily... We went back and it was very rideable and we had a ton of fun. We went there every day that we were in the park. It's actually, I mean, while we're talking about it, it's real close to the Frank Lloyd Wright famous Falling Water house. I'm sure you've seen pictures of this place. And so, yeah, we went and visited that and all kinds of fun stuff. And we only had enough cell phone signal, like driving between campgrounds. We moved once during the week to to like get to GPS to get us to the next place. and. It's like, okay, you're in a, a cell phone black hole again. So, holy, I can't imagine that. Like, I'm never detached more than yeah, like a few hours. It's tough. You get the itch. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually you get, you, you get through it. But do you have one of those backpacks that has a solar panel on the top so you can recharge <laughs> your podcast device? I don't. <laughs> we have a, a small pop up camper. And so it has some outlets in it. And we ah. try whenever possible to get a campsite that has electric for that. That's nice, nice. And so I can like recharge my phone every night sort of thing. Do you have a generator or something you take when there's nope. no power? The, the camper has a battery, just like a car battery. And it, yeah. so when it's on battery, the outlets don't work. But like the water pump and the lights in the ceiling work. Cool. That's it. I remember nice. I, was, I went to this presentation one time and this guy was talking about how he had made some decision at his company. And I think he was the CTO and they made some huge decision that they were going to roll out some new piece of software. And then he went on vacation (laughs) day of, and he was in one of these situations where he was literally out of cell phone range. Like he was in a Canyon or something. And he came out five days later. And I think he said he had something like 1300 voicemails on his phone from all the people that were freaking out about, like, I think the system had gone completely down. Right. Oh, it was no. like offline for days and they were trying to figure out how to get things from backups and they couldn't find data. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nightmare. Yeah, no, I I came back from this vacation with several things that I had like completed and left. When I left, I, we left on Friday. So my last day was Thursday and there was several projects that I completed at the end of that week. And then we just agreed they're going to sit on the shelf until I get back because <laughs> Don't I'm not going to put anybody else through them. that. <laughs> yeah. Don't touch it. Yeah. So. Well, that's me. So that leaves you, Tim. You've had some time. What do you got? I'm going to go with the fail just because I'm just terribly unmotivated this week. Uh, and this We're recording on Tuesday. Normally we record on Thursday, but just this Monday and Tuesday, I've just got no drive. I mean, I'm doing stuff, but it's like, I don't know. I got to get my fire back. So just trying to force myself to focus and to uh, apply myself and go 
get to inbox zero and all that stuff every day. But yeah, it's just like, if there's some, I normally, when I, I run out of stuff, I'm just very quick to pick something else up that I got on the back burner. And now it's like, I'm done with that. I'm just going to sit here for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so Been it, it, it ebbs and flows. Yeah. So I'm sure I'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, we said today in Slack, we're like, man, this Tuesday just feels like Monday part two. Yeah. Like, it's just a long week already. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then last week, I, I, I took off for purses. I have some a rental property in an old house that we used to live in. A tree fell on it, and I had to go up there and check it. That was just extra oh, stress that I don't want to deal with. Oh, man. That sucks. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it sounds a little bit like burnout. And if you need a good podcast episode, is there a good podcast? Burnout, is there a <laughs> good I podcast can, for that? Can can recommend something. Actually, uh, I saw a quote this week that I really liked about burnout. It was people don't burn out from too much work; they burn out from too much unfulfilling work. Mm. Yes. So yeah. I think find something to work on that you're like in love with, and maybe that'll help yeah. reset. Yeah. Good plan. Cool. Well, I guess let's talk about software patents. Does anybody have any particular place you want to start? I have one idea. So I thought before we jump into software patents, it makes sense to kind of just cover real quick. What is a patent? Do any of you guys know? Mm -hmm. So how does a patent differ from a copyright? That's a good question. A copyright protects you as the owner of something you created, something you wrote, a piece of art you created or whatever, and nobody else can claim ownership of it, right? You can't plagiarize the book that I wrote or something like that and try to profit off of that. Okay. A patent is a, a way of granting exclusionary rights. So it gives me, if I'm a pharmaceutical company and I develop a new drug to, to treat some disease, only I can use that formula to create a, the drug for this purpose or whatever. And so even if you could reverse engineer, like if you went and bought some of the pills that I create and you break them up and you figure out what's in them, even if you could figure out what the formula is, you are not allowed to make that drug and sell it because I have the patent on it. So basically it's an incentive to encourage people to do research and development on hard problems. Right. Like, so these drugs that we need for various diseases, that sort of thing, and inventions in general. Yeah. And I, we probably should say at the top of this that, that none of us are lawyers and none no. of this is legal advice. So, absolutely. Every, everything none. we say, take with a huge grain of salt and, and talk yeah, to yeah. your patent attorney. Cause I think that's the biggest thing is, is you're going to have to have a patent attorney at some point involved in this because it's a very complicated process. Yeah. I mean, I'm coming at this from a very outside in perspective. I have zero patents to my name, although I can say I know some people that have patents. My father-in-law has, I think, a couple of dozen patents. He's not a mechanical engineer. He's an engineer of some sort, and he works on really interesting equipment that does like chemical analysis and like a mass spectrograph sort of thing. And, oh, wow, and cool. basically his company comes to him and he's like, okay, look, this is what we need to do. We need to determine the number of certain types of particles in this compound or whatever. We need a machine that does that. But these are the constraints. You have to work in this condition. And so he finds a way to solve that problem, and then they can patent it. We're talking yeah. about drugs. So drugs, in a, in a way, are an interesting parallel with code because drugs are composed of lower-level molecular structures. Mm -hmm. 
right? But you can't patent hydrogen. You can't patent oxygen. You can't right. patent nitrogen. But you can patent some complex formulation of 16 carbons with 12 hydrogens. And I, I don't know anything about molecular biology or anything like that, but or chemistry. But you you have to get to some certain level of complexity, I think, before you can say, like, this is a thing that's right. patentable. Mm -hmm. and And code, I feel, must have to deal with those same type of constraints because you can't patent an if statement, right? Everybody has if statements. So, so what, how yeah. do you compose code to the point where you can look at something and say, this is so uniquely ours yeah. that if anyone were even to like randomly put this collection of syntax tokens together, it would be a violation. So what I had read was I posted the link over to like this page I was reading earlier when we were talking about this topic, but it basically says that it has to be new and original. Mm -hmm. The code has to be useful and it has to have a non-obvious piece of code or function to it. So it can't be anything that would be an obvious statement right. to it. I mean, I think it, it kind of goes back to it's an incentive, right? If you can come up with an yeah. idea that is novel enough and useful then you can get it patented and that gives you not only the right to be the sole creator of it in the court in the example of medicine but like you can sell a license to it right so coke doesn't sell the doesn't license the formula for coca-cola but i think that there are medical like medicine licenses if i'm not mistaken um, not doctor medical license, but you know what I mean? Like, so you can license the rights to use a formulation to create a medicine mm -hmm. sort of thing. And so you can profit off of it that way as well. And I think that we've probably covered enough ground here in general patents, got the idea across. Yeah. I think that the idea of software patents is interesting to me because I, I like the idea of there being an incentive to solve hard problems do complex things, be useful, be novel. And not everybody has the same type of motivation and personality as me, but you know, me personally, I'm I have never once thought, oh, that's an interesting thing I just did. I should see if I, that's patentable or not. Mm -hmm. It's just I create stuff cuz it's fun and because it needs to be created, not necessarily to profit off of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, in software patents particularly are very tricky yeah because i kind of the things that, that ben was talking about the, the a lot of it is kind of a gray area like you can't patent a, an abstract idea but mm -hmm. that's not yeah. always clear what that is and it's not about the code codes the language right it's about the process the design of what you're doing more so than the actual code and one of the things that i was reading about this is the law requires it needs to pass like the machine or transformation test. So the machine basically means yeah. the code has to be tied to a, to a machine or it has to be a process that turns one thing into another. And that process is what's patentable, not mm -hmm. necessarily the code that, that's doing it. I mean, one example of that is the Amazon one click patent. I don't know if you ever used that on Amazon where you can buy one now click. with one click. Yeah. So uh, it's taking only all it, the time. Yeah, it's that process of just having to, you put something in your cart and you one click and you purchase, right? Everything, you don't have to go through a bunch mm -hmm. of steps. And they patent that, right? So no mm -hmm. one for, I forget how long patents last. It's Usually not, it's 20, 20 years. years. But yeah, 
Can be so yeah, it, it, until their their patent wears off, they're really the only one who can do technically do that on a site. Hmm. So, but that's yeah, a I mean, process. There are other things that stand out to me as like obviously this is a patentable idea, and, and I think that if I'm not mistaken, some types of patents can be granted without a working example, mm-hmm. like a reference implementation, but some can't. So like uh, in the world of software, a self-driving car, right? Like when they finally get that to be, I don't know, there's different like ways they grade it, like level one or whatever they call it, where it's actually fully functional self-driving car. I'm sure they're going to patent that or they're going to try. Yeah. Like you said, where's the line? And I don't think that it's clear. And that's the job of the people that work in the patent office, I guess, is to determine is there prior art for this? And is this submission, this application actually new and novel and useful and everything? Do you think you can patent algorithms? Like in a previous episode, we talked about password hashing algorithms like mm-hmm. Bcrypt and Scrypt and Argon2, which, as far as I know, at least are, are licensed so that anyone can use them. But I wonder if... Right. You can say like, hey, this is a very novel approach to creating secure hashes. So obviously I'm not an expert, but I'm almost certain there are very few software patents, which is amazing to me because like I did a little bit of reading before we came into this episode. And and from what I saw, there's very few software patents. But I mean, when I think of software patents and the idea of patent trolls, like the first thing that comes to mind is like, hasn't Google been fighting Oracle for like the last lifetime over Mm -hmm. stuff in Java and I guess Android overlap or something. I'm not sure. That's just like ever since slash dot was like my homepage in my browser in IE (laughs) four, this battle has been in the courts. So, and then there was, I don't know how much truth there is to it, but like Apple tried to patent the rounded rectangle. (laughs) <laughs> no like, really but it's bananas uh, software is tricky too because if you think about the way the industry works in general mm-hmm. uh, we had mentioned this on a previous episode that i've heard that the average tenure for an engineer at a company is about two years industry-wide so you have yeah. people who hop from company to company to company and they're bringing ideas with them as they go is the code that someone's writing today a violation of something that they wrote previously because it looks very similar? Or is this just the best practice of building this type of thing that they've established in their mind? I mean, mm-hmm. because programming is so much this non-tangible art, it's, <laughs> uh, I don't know where I'm going with that thought, other than just <laughs> to say it, it, it feels like so much of it can be coincidental and not necessarily a violation yeah where is the boundary between like intellectual property and just patterns of how we write it so what is that piece that separates me from disclosing intellectual property from another job versus this is just how you write this function every time i write it this is how i create my methods this is just my way of coding that isn't part of that it's just what i do And on top of that, I mean, going back to what Adam was saying about this this, uh, system of incentives, I'm hard pressed to find an example, but I know that I've heard things on the radio where they talk about 
how there'll be some technical hurdle that then allows for further innovations to happen. And what will end up happening is something new will be created in an industry. And then a whole bunch of people in parallel will come up with very similar ideas because mm -hmm. now some kind of general idea has been unlocked. And I feel like they were talking about even the light bulb that when the light bulb was invented, some like like a whole bunch of people actually tried to file patents for very light bulb like devices, like almost at the same point in time. Mm -hmm. So when you think about these incentives, it's not like one person got the patent on light bulbs, but it's not like they were the only people doing that research and building that technology. They just happened to be the first one to one, get their application in and to get that application approved mm -hmm. probably by some combination if they oh, got absolutely. the right clerk and the and that clerk happened to think this was novel enough yep. so it's tough i don't know it's all very fuzzy to me yeah it's very much a, a lawyer game right so if you look at a typical patent application it's a it is very much a an attempt to grab as much land as possible and mm -hmm. claim it as your own right so you make an invention and every patent application, you have to describe what the invention is. And when the lawyers write up the paperwork, they start with, okay, the universe exists. There's an earth. Sort of, they start from yep. the broadest possible thing. And they try to claim as much of that as possible, right? So like, I don't know, whatever. We started with a switch statement and then this and that. And that way, however much of that gets granted as part of that patent, even if it's not necessarily a novel portion, if it's the first time the patent office has like recognized it, noticed it, whatever, then you can sort of claim that as part of your patent. And then if you choose to enforce it, you can go around and be a jerk and not let people use switch statements or whatever it is. Like <laughs> don't give Adam Cameron any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of ambivalent. I think software patents are too vague, and I think they probably do more harm than they, they do good uh, because the people at the patent office, they're not going to fully understand the use case that, that you're yeah. putting forward there. And they if they accidentally do something too broad, mm -hmm. well, now, like you said, that person has a whole lot of power to go through and wreck other people. And and then to anytime you try to you create something having to do this exhaustive search, make sure you're not infringing. That's just, it's kind of dead weight. I mean, it, it made a great, it was great back when it was just mechanical things and you could do a mechanical diagram. That was, that's very clear and easy to see this. It's unambiguous what a right. mechanical thing does, but software is, can, can be very ambiguous. And I mean, I've filed for two, our company, they, every year they, they say, Hey, what have you done? That's interesting and unique. That could be patentable. And they beat you up over it if you don't give anything. So it's hmm. like, we put stuff down. It's like they never get accepted. <laughs> but, but yeah, because at the end of the day, it's like, well, what you're doing is just, it's kind of, it's a known thing. It's not really that unique. So you've had two patent applications rejected. Is that what you're saying? Yep. <laughs> and they never got past legal, so they yeah. never even filed okay. them. <laughs> not even an application. They're like, we're not going to tell anyone we're doing this already. Yeah. Well, going back to the the thing Adam mentioned about Google versus oracle it almost feels like a lot of the value of a patent is defensive more than it is offensive like you want to patent something almost so that no one else can then later come and say hey right. we patented it and now you're infringing on our patent yep yeah like i want to have it first so i can keep doing and then it. there are also i'm trying to remember the details here so i know there was there's this whole kerfuffle about the license 
that React.js was released under. Mm. If you recall that, it was maybe about a year or two ago. And the language in the license, basically, it was frequently interpreted as your application that you write with this code becomes part of Facebook's like property. Right. And obviously <laughs> nobody is gonna to do that. But that was how people were choosing to interpret the license. And I think that what what was intended in that language was an agreement that basically if you have patents and we have patents and we see that we're both infringing on each other's patents, we can just have a net even score, right? Like just like, okay, we'll we'll forget our stuff that you're infringing on, you forget your stuff that, that I'm infringing on, and that way it it kind of becomes a level playing field or something. The whole thing, the legalese, all of it is super confusing. You definitely need a lawyer if you're going to get involved in that sort of thing. Yeah, and we wouldn't and, be doing it if we didn't have a huge legal department right. in our corporate structure. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that is a big part of why I'm just totally turned off by the idea. Like, would I like to have a patent on something, whether or not it's truly useful and beneficial and unique and novel? Would I like to have a patent on something and have people pay me a license fee to use it? Sure, why not? But that's a lot of work and a lot of like legal garbage to go through where I can just like have fun and write open source code and release it for free to the world. Like who cares? That's where that to me is the more interesting way to spend my time. I was trying to read through an article real quick while you were talking about the React licensing controversy and mm -hmm. everything. And I'm like three fourths away, just like through it, like not really reading it, just picking out keywords. Right. And it says, if you're confused by the language so far, you mm -hmm. should be. <laughs> I'm like, good. Cause so far none of this has made sense. So I'm like, all right, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one that doesn't fully understand it. Illegal documents in general are just, completely obtuse it is so hard so many it's, extra words I mean, in there no offense to any of my lawyer friends but i think it's a little bit of a case of like they do that on purpose so that they are needed right like legalese exists so that lawyers are necessary in not that's not the only reason it's useful to be able to be 110% explicitly clear on what the agreement is in a contract or whatever, but still. But I feel like you could be clear without a lot of the language that they use. Yeah. Agree. <laughs> Pros and cons, lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Something we haven't really touched on that I think that we should talk a little bit about would be like patent trolls, right? So, and not just software patent trolls. So what is a patent? I don't even know what a patent troll is. You yeah. said that earlier. So no. usually a patent troll is a person or a company that buys patents and then goes around and looks for people that are infringing on that patent. And so they might look before they buy. So they know what to buy, but they find people that are infringing on a patent that they own. And then they basically extort you. They say, give me a certain amount of money as a licensing yeah. fee, or I'm going to take you to court. And I'm going to ruin your business sort of thing. It's like ransomware. Yeah. It's they professional ransomware. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah. And, and so, and, but that is their business model, right? The business exists to buy patents and enforce them as basically legal extortion sort of thing. And uh, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that thinks that the practice of patent trolling is actually beneficial for the world other than they're extracting capital value if you have that sort of worldview 
I assume you can also buy companies that own patents. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those patents. There's plenty of companies that get bought simply because they have a patent on something like what's a good example. You you see that a lot in in tech buyouts. They'll buy some company mm-hmm. and the the product just gets shut down. And you look at it and you go, well, why did you buy it if you wanted to shut the product down? <laughs> it's because they wanted the people and or the patents. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So earlier we, we said that the idea of patents is to encourage innovation, right? Mm-hmm. Because innovation is hard. And so if you, you can guarantee that you have exclusive use of it for 20 years, then that, it's, that helps offset some of the risk. Right. Um, and then we also talked about some of the drawbacks of it and how it can almost stifle innovation at times. But one thing that in the United States is the United States that the tax law does for uh, companies to encourage them is the R&D tax credit. So I don't know if a lot of people take advantage of that. We do this. And the only reason I put it together in my head, the same people that talk to us about patents every year also talk to about R&D tax credit. So basically the, in the United States, the, the R&D tax credit is if you're doing research and development, which is coming up with design work, even if you're not like solving a a novel problem, but if you're solving maybe something that you really haven't done before and you're building a product, all that work that goes into doing the research, building a prototype, building the MVP, it's beyond just your normal maintenance kind of thing. All those hours can qualify you for tax, tax credit, your company for tax credit. So whatever they're paying you, whatever your salary is, you can at the state and federal level, get anywhere between 10 to 15% of your salary back as a tax credit. But you do have to keep pretty good documentation of... That's what I was going to ask. (laughs) Yeah, so the burden of proof is you need to show, well, we had a design meeting and we created this design document. We had a a meeting with, maybe you have a focus group or a customer group that's helping you build the the product. And so we met with them and here's the results of it. Even Even your tickets, if you have a ticketing system, as long as it's not just maintenance and you're just fixing bugs in an existing something this is something new part of it that's never been done before there has to be a a level of uncertainty of how to solve the problem and if you can prove all that then you submit it and yeah it's it can it can add up to a huge amount of money i'm trying to see where the line is here between all new development right like you keep saying it doesn't count for maintenance work right so if i'm just writing a new feature Let's just say I'm writing my own ticketing system in my application. Does that count? Or because ticketing systems have been done, that's not interesting or new enough? No, it it has nothing to do with it being new. So, I mean, if if this is new, if you've never, your company's never done it before, you're not just refactoring an existing ticketing Mm -hmm. system, then yeah, that's that's research. That's R&D. Yeah. And if, let's say, of course, no one's day is 100% R&D, but if you are uh, up to eight, so if it's 80%. So if, if 80% of your time is spent just specifically doing R&D work, then you can count 100% of your salary as eligible for the, the tax credit. Okay. And some states are better than others. Georgia is actually very good. It has one of the highest percentages. Some states don't do it at all. The, the federal level, it, it's the same, but uh, some states are extremely good. And Georgia is one of those that has a good tax credit per state. There's actually like a four point test that you can do to find out if your 
development that you're working on qualifies for this. It's like you have to eliminate uncertainty. So you have to make sure that you've like attempted to show that the development is new and not just an improvement to what you're already working on. You have to like show the experimentation of it, the technology in nature, and then you have to show the qualified purpose. So there's actually a pretty good like guideline that you can follow if you follow the test to make sure that what you're doing meets those guidelines. Sounds like a lot of software companies should be looking into this. Yeah. Yeah. So Carol's been building this whole Gmail integration with her support team and researching mm-hmm. Google Cloud stuff and Amazon stuff. I mean, is that technically all R&D that she's doing? I mean, she's building a new product, essentially, or a new facet of her product. I can ask. I don't know the answer. I do know I had to track all of my time because we use the software called Harvest to track our time too. And depending on if the project is getting billed differently, I just put 40 hours a week on that project or whatever. It did go into a whole nother category. So I can ask if it's something that they're charging to R&D, which would then be part of the tax process that they do. I'd be curious. I'll find out. No, 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 nice. All right. So, yeah, I'm pulling up the stuff that, that we had to take training on this. So qualified research to develop new or improved products or processes. R&D is found within technical developments, which seek to achieve an improved business component, encounter technical uncertainty at the outset of the development effort regarding the appropriate method, design, or technical feasibility of the project. So uncertainty about the appropriate way to accomplish the project. That sounds like every project. Right. (laughs) So that's every day. (laughs) That's pretty much every day. I mean, all of it. And then the main thing is just making sure you have good, good documentation of what you've been, been doing. And it's not just that you can also have people who qualify for the credit can have direct performance, direct support and direct supervision. So if you are the R and D product manager, you're not even writing code. You're just, you're there in the meetings and working with the teams and they're, they're weighing the pros and cons of different ways to solve the problem. You as a direct supervision can do that. So that's project management, reviewing project status. But the main thing is that you are working on the product itself, which kind of encourages you to almost build a product department because that way you can kind of segment it out. Otherwise, you got to keep track of your time. For instance, I'm 100%, 100% R&D. Wow. Nice. Because my administrative and stuff is only is around 20%, so that puts me in the 100% bucket. So my taxes pay your salary, is that what you're saying? <laughs> it doesn't pay my salary. <laughs> I mean, you only, you only get back 10%, about 10 to 15%, 15 15%, 15% of, uh, yeah. as, as a tax credit. But it is a credit, which is nice, because depending on how good your tax people are, that, let's say for some reason you were paying zero taxes, which I don't encourage, but if you're paying zero, you would actually would get money. I wonder how this applies for like freelancers. Right. If you're self-employed and you're contracting or consulting for different companies, wonder if the company gets to claim it or if you get to claim it. it I believe it's the company. Oh, lame. Yeah, it seems like it would fall the other way, not toward the freelancer. But I don't know. Whenever I got moved to the Tiger team, all of my work on the Tiger team at my previous job, all that was R&D and that got billed back. So. All right. So, I mean, just, I'm just I just bring that up to say there's different ways to encourage innovation. If that's the point of, of patents, yeah. this the direct money, that's a good way to push experimentation. So you make something new, patent it, and get tax credit for <laughs> right. it. Look at that. I'd like to throw this in there. Is that so in order for you to really have a secure patent, 
you pretty much have to file in every country because you can file in America, but those aren't reciprocal in other countries as well. So it gets pretty, pretty weighty, Harry. Yeah, weighty to, to to be able to do that, which is why mm-hmm. some people just patent the United States and leave it there and hope the other countries don't steal it. But hmm. well, I think if you're doing industry like math production things, it's I thought they usually do China and the U.S. There's 151 countries countries. that are part of the Mm -hmm. Berne Convention. So, but if they're not in those, then you have to go to those other countries. Patents. No, wait, that's copyright. 151 countries is copyright. Patents are much more complex. You have to apply for a patent in each country where you want protection. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Once again, lawyers making more jobs for lawyers. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, then we'll call it there. So this episode of Working Code was brought to you by the concept of patent trolling and listeners like you. <laughs> if you like what we're doing here, you might want to consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash working code pod. And to say thanks for your support, we offer some perks to our patrons. They all get an invite to our discord server. And that's just a place where we hang out and chat about the podcast, about work stuff, life stuff, whatever's going on. We have other perks available, like early access to new episodes before they come out to the public and our after show, which will be going on to record here just in a moment. Every week, we thank our top patron. And since this week is part of every week, we are sending out a huge thank you to Peter and to Monty. And Monty asked us to send a shout out to Code to Inspire. And so this is the little blurb he gave me. Code to Inspire is the first coding school for women in Afghanistan code to inspire empowers young women in developing countries to drive economic and social progress by teaching them how to code, find programming jobs and launch technology ventures. For more information, please go to www.code to inspire. That's the word T O inspire.org. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. If paying for podcasts isn't your thing, that's cool with us. We appreciate you taking the time to listen and you can help us out without spending any money by sharing the show with your friends and your coworkers. You can also leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please send us your questions and show topics on Twitter or Instagram at working code pod, or leave us a message at 512-253-2633. That is 512-253-CODE. We'll catch you next week. And until then, Your heart matters, even you patent trolls. (laughs) That's a step too far. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.